Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Forest. I'm your host, Cameron Lemons Debro. This time I'm recording it and I'm not on mute. I was supposed to have this up yesterday, but unfortunately, unbeknownst to me, until right before I was about to upload it, before I left, the audio was muted. So I talked for about 30 minutes and no one could hear it. Great. Good job. Thumbs up. If you haven't heard the news, Efton Reed yesterday committed to Wake Forest, another five star that has decided to enroll, excuse me, former five-star, that has decided to enroll in the Steve Forbes Transfer Portal Rehabilitation Center. I think it's it's a great process to say, hey, these guys that had an immense amount of talent, bring them in, and let's see what we can do with them. And I mean, if you've looked at Forbes's track record across really transfers in general at Wake Forest, not saying they're all five stars, like the last two guys have gotten have been former five stars. But I mean, you look at a guy like honestly, Ty Appleby. Ty Appleby put up some numbers last year at Florida, but he wasn't exactly a SEC player of the year or ACC player of the year, as we found out um, he was at Wake Forest. You look at a guy like Alonis Williams. Alonis Williams didn't do a whole lot of jack. At Oklahoma, he would, no one really did on that team of uh, Porter Moses and turned him into an ACC player of the year. I mean, you obviously have your guys like an Andrew Carr. You have your guys like a Jake Arabia that were stars at the lower level and brought them up. But he has been really a, he's been really a guy that's kind of gotten the, the most out of it. got Dallas Wall. And I know Dallas had injury issues a bit throughout his career, but we really didn't see a lot of what he showed and what Kadeem C showed that year until he got to, to both of them got the way Forest. And so I think Steve Forbes and the way he played their offense and defense operates is a very good breeding ground, a very good place for people to kind of break out. He's going to let their guys play with freedom. You're not really worried about getting yanked unless you're Damari Monsanto. And that's just a whole different relationship, but Damari doesn't really have to worry about it as long as he's putting all the effort and he knows that, but I'm excited about the read. Uh, I'm excuse me. I'm sorry. Excited about the read transfer. This is one that I know the staff put a ton of work in. I had heard a bit behind the scenes, at least before Wake Forest got involved. Things had kind of been a bit wonky, and when stuff like that comes out, I tend to favor the player because a lot of the times the people in the player's ears usually why things get wonky more so than the player itself. Players are usually, I mean, just think about it as a person. People can flip-flop from time to time, but usually you kind of know what you want to do after a few opportunities and after a few times seeing everything which you have to see. And players are the same way. They get a couple visits in. They go, hey, I I know where I want to go. And we kind of go from there. But you have people in your ear, whether it's a handler, whether it's a parent, whether it's someone, a former coach, just kind of whoever is really involved in that recruitment has been involved with that person's life for the last 19, 20, 21 years. And it really can just turn the tide when they just kind of go, no, sorry, we're going to keep going with this process or we're kind of going to flip and change things up. So I, I never really hold many recruitments against a coach. And that's not just a weak thing. It's just in general, just because sometimes things behind this, I have, I have quite literally seen a player commit on a visit, get cold feet and decommit on said on the same visit within maybe five hours without even leaving campus. Recruitments can, can just be 
baffling at a certain point. And it's not so much, oh, this person can't close, can't do this. Can't, like you got the commitment, you, you had that edit and everything made that day. And then someone just gets cold feet because someone's in their ear saying, oh, no, no, let's wait, let's wait, let's wait. Or like someone else, another coach is like, oh, no, wait, wait, wait. And things just kind of spiral. It, it's it's wild. Some of the things that happen, someone, you know, someone offers an exorbitant amount of money and you have to reconsider everything. It's, 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 it can be wild behind the scenes. And it's, it's one of the things that I don't like kind of saying exactly what happens in terms of a lot of these recruitments or just a lot of rooms in general, just because, I mean, people are reserve the right to their privacy, but also just because it's exhausting. It's honestly exhausting. I, I don't understand why more coaches aren't bald to be quite honest. And I kind of see why people don't want to, don't want to be in college basketball. And it's not just because of NIL and everything else. It's just, even beforehand, recruiting is its own just there there's a specific type of person that has to be good and like recruiting for many, many years. But it is exhausting to sit here and recruit. It is just it's a whole other animal that there's not really another prof, like profession like it ever. And there's a reason why people after a few years go, man, I just want to go to the pros where I don't have to worry about that anymore. I don't have to worry about selling this on anybody. I don't have to do any, I don't have to do any of that. I know this dude's going to be when he gets here. He's great. I don't have to teach him a lot. Just go to the pros. But so moving this to back to Efton. It wasn't just down from Wake and VCU. I like Les John's word on Demon Deacon Digest. Schools like Ole Miss, Michigan, there are a handful of others were trying, really trying to get him in on visits. Ended up not doing that. Ended up coming to Wake Forest. So I'm going to take the time to answer a couple of questions that I know have popped up a few times and are going to pop up over the next week or so. The first and obvious one is the waiver. So if you're new or haven't been keeping up with this, and I don't blame you if you haven't been, college basketball, college sports are in a weird place right now. So Efton Reed is a two-time transfer. He transferred from LSU where he started his college career to Gonzaga. And then after Gonzaga, he's now at Wake Forest. The NCAA is usually, has, in the past, has been kind of not stringent at all on transferring your second time. They're usually, they've now instituted the first, the first wave round being whatever. But the second wave round, they are on they have been saying, "Hey, don't they don't really like this?" But you know, they've still given the given wave around a second time. But as of January eleventh, um, I believe, or maybe before that, I think January eleventh is when that uh, final guidance kind of came out to the coaches and the players. They are saying that they're now going to be a lot stricter on a lot more strict on second time transfers. So you getting run off from a school didn't didn't really matter. You know, you being sick and being hurt doesn't really matter. You essentially have to meet one of three criteria, mental health, exigent circumstances outside the student's control, such as physical or sexual assault, discrimination based on protected class, or assertions involving diagnosed education, education impacting disabilities. Number three, I don't, I don't think that if that happened to you, I don't think that you would be in the position to play college basketball the next year. I don't really know what that would even entail to be quite honest number two exigent circumstances such as physical or sexual assault discrimination outside of based on a protected class that would be a national story so if that is number two is happening to you 
you you're guaranteed you, you should be guaranteed a waiver, but there that's the 0.01%. And then mental health. Mental health is the one that I, most college athletes that are transferring a second time, and there are a healthy amount of them, are gonna try to invoke for their waivers. And I think it's kind of a BS thing a bit. Not so much that they're using this and they're gonna do this in a bad way. I think college athletes have a lot of mental health concerns going on just with how much is put on them. And I know people are like, oh, they're going to pay this, 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 whatever. I mean, look, people have mental health, have have terrible mental health when they're just going through straight up college, not so much they're going through college and have to go through an entire sport that determines whether or not they're keeping their scholarship and are able to to continue on with this. There there are a whole lot of other stuff. So mental health is a very, very, very big issue in the student athlete community. And I think that it deserves a little bit more attention to it. But I don't like the fact that there has to be some committee that gets to say, you're not depressed enough. You don't get to play this year. Like, do you know how like, do you know how bonkers that sounds? Just, I, I get it in writing, but do you, do you understand like how bonkers that kind of is when you break it down of, Someone can basically a group, a group of seven people can sit here and say, yeah, we don't think your mental health was affected enough for you to be able to transfer it. And I think that's a terrible thing to say to say to somebody. I think you whether or not you you see all the facts and quote unquote facts and do all this stuff. I think that's a it's a terrible thing to just try to waddle through. So I'm really interested to see. Are they going to hold strong on this? Or are they just going to kind of just say, hey, you know, everyone's in the mental health. We're going to go through it. I think it sets a bad precedent for people who actually maybe aren't going through that. But I also think it sets them up for a really, really ugly sort of thing. If someone who is very, very depressed sits here and doesn't get a waiver because the incident was just like, well, you weren't as depressed as you say you were. And I think it opens just a completely terrible just set of worms. In terms of Efton Reed, I'm assuming that if you read the story from Les, that he mentioned that he wanted to be closer to home. His mother has some health issues. The family is from Richmond, but it's just himself, his mother and his brother. And he really wanted to be closer to home. And I think Wake's only three hours away from, from where they live. So it gives him the opportunity to go visit and go check it in her and do what he needs to do to make sure that she's okay. That's I'm assuming going to be the kind of the crux of his arguments and just being so far away from home. I mean, granted, every, anywhere as far is closer than Spokane, Washington, but Wake being close, pretty close is, you know, probably something that factored into his recruitment of, hey, I want to really, really, I really want to come back home and to be close to my mom. And I think and if someone's mother is sick, that probably affects them a little bit. I don't know if he gets the waiver. I have always kind of waivers are weird. Dealing with the NCAA is weird. I will say with a hundred percent certainty from everyone that I've talked to deciding between Wake Forest and VCU, no sane person is going to sit here and lose and potentially lose a year of eligibility and get a year older and not be able to get closer to their dream of being in the, in the NBA they're not going to sit here and choose the choose a spot that gives them a worse chance at that. And sometimes people think about that from a playing perspective. And it's not just that, just from a way perspective. If there was if there was an iota of a difference between 
Wake and VCU in terms of how of how it would affect his waiver, I do not think he would have chosen Wake Forest. Just just flat out. I I, I think everyone involved would, would agree with that. Because it'd be a, it'd be kind of a dumb decision to sit here and say, well, you could go to VC, you come to VCU and maybe and and probably play, or you could go to somewhere else and not play. I think that that that's an it's a no brainer decision there. But so I'm I'm not really sure if he gets the waiver. I think he does. I I I have been under the impression that, and maybe I'm on an island, maybe I'm not, just from who I talked to, that. And the incident way is going to be a little less strict, a little, a little less strict than they say they're going to be. I think they're kind of posturing right now in terms of it, but it's the NCAA, as I was explained to it the other day. If you know exactly what the NCAA is going to do, let me know because you'll be the first person in history to ever to ever figure that out. So I don't, I don't know. I think he'll get the waiver, but it wasn't the pickup wasn't dependent on him getting the waiver or not. I think that. They are, the, and the, and this is the thing. Like you, you talk about bringing a guy like Reed. I think if he does, is he if he is able to play, he's going to fit in very well with what the team needs. But there's also three other people on this team that are playing, that are able to play center. There is Andrew Carr, who I think comes in starting. There is Zach Keller, and then there's Matthew Marsh, which is why I don't think that you know if the waiver doesn't get signed, they somehow find another way to get a big man. You're not allocating a fifth scholarship for that, but kind of moving on. I know another question was how long will this process take? Oof. So the initial process takes about three to four weeks. They are supposed to take 21 days. And I believe it's 21 business days to actually review the process of what happens there. But that clock doesn't start until the NCAA uh, gets the actual gets the actual waiver, uh, a request from the school, and so that school does not put in that waiver. So the player doesn't put it doesn't put it in. Excuse me, and I don't think, and I think it's kind of weird that the player doesn't. But the school has to submit a four a four by four transfer waiver, transfer waiver. So when you come from a four-year school, transfer to another four-year school, and you do not satisfy the requirements to be automatically ineligible, the school submits on your behalf a waiver, a, a, a document saying, hey, I would like to, I would like to make the, help this person get eligible for this upcoming year. The school has to demonstrate they, they've gotten all the documented stuff they needed to say that their transfer is linked to documented is the word that they use is, is linked to documented mitigating circumstances outside of the student athlete's control. They and I'm sure part of Matthew Reed has been had been in the portal for a month before he committed. I'm sure throughout that entire month he has put together at least some sort of a case himself before Wake even needs to ask him, hey, I need this, this, and this. I'm sure Wake's gonna ask for some stuff, but I'm sure but I'm sure he has a full on documented process of stuff to say, hey, this is what would be my case to go to the NCAA, talk to my, let's talk to the, to the lawyers that are going to represent us, et cetera, we'll go from there. I don't think this is something that they're going to sit here and say, well, let's take two weeks to, to get all the facts that you've been, you've been in the portal for a while. Let's, let's get the ball rolling here. So once that happens, then the 21, three week day, three weeks, quote unquote, clock starts. The, it goes to seven members of the legislative relief committee there's a there's it's a committee made up seven members 
sure. And then we go from there. And then if that, if it gets approved with, and I think, again, it's usually three to four days, cool, fine, whatever. Great. If it gets denied, then you have two choices. Well, three, one is to accept the decision, which people rarely ever do. There is to request a reconsideration, which is what people do usually. And this is, this is why it usually takes a bit in order for you to really start hearing about transfer to sit like decisions about waivers is because so when you when if you get denied then the school provides the NCAA staff of rationale of why they should reconsider you can request this reconsideration within 30 business days of the latest decision if new information becomes available so essentially what people do is Okay, cool. Let's take the next 25 to 26 days. Well, you know, basically let's take three, three, three and a half weeks to kind of read what, what went wrong and what we were saying. Do we need to present it a different way? Is there something we missed? Is there anything that you, that we just kind of forgot to didn't send in? It's like, was there just something that we just, we just missed? Figure that out. Take, you know, almost all the, all the 30 days to, Make sure you're exhausting every every avenue, every angle of it. Talking to your lawyers, billable hours are also incredible on this. Go go lawyers, you guys make a bank on this. Doing all this, and then probably around day 28, 29, you request the reconsideration, and then the NCAA staff reviews the new information by the school. I don't know exactly what the clock is, but I'm assuming it's not the next day. I don't. I would very much assume that that is another three weeks, a month from there from there they can approve it or they can deny it if they approve it cool if they deny it the school can then request an appeal so the school can request the appeal from the get-go but a lot of times people like to go through every single step just to be like hey do we need to before we go to a full-on appeal with a letter of support from, you know, John Curry or excuse me, from President Susan Wente or the Gonzaga president. And you go from there and say, hey, so what happens there is, is verbatim. School provides the NCAA staff with rationale requesting an appeal and letter of support from authority outside of, excuse me, outside of athletics. The school must submit appeal materials within 30 calendar days of the decision. So here you go. That's a, they, you get another month essentially. Once that decision happens, you get another month to sit here and reframe everything, go through all these things, find out you know is, is there some text I missed, etc. Whatever you just did with the reconsideration, you you do it again for the appeal process. So you start seeing why this process, if you're getting denied, or even if you get if you win it on the final one, you can start seeing why sometimes this process will take you four or five months because you can sit here and spend essentially um you can you can get the you, it takes about a month for you to get the first one going it takes you you spend about a month getting getting all your information for a reconsideration you can spend about a month you spend on a month doing it for for requesting appeal and if you get the reconsideration there you'll probably wait another month before you get 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 your actual answer there so you could sit here and wait four to five months and just kind of be fighting this battle. And it's, that's why you don't really hear sometimes that people, what people's decisions are, because you, it's just, it could be in 
limbo somewhere else. And the NCAA doesn't like exactly doing stuff on on time. And it is what it is. They have they have they're a busy organization. They have a ton of ton of waivers, ton of business to take care of. That's not that's not my prerogative. That's that's on them. So yeah, so I expect the ball to get rolling as soon as possible. But I don't know if there's a resolution within the next month. We'll see from then. I think our first checkpoint will be a month from now. It will be a month from probably next Wednesday or Thursday, because I believe that he's finishing up after he's finishing up finals right now. So I think once that happens, then we will sit here and go, okay, cool. Let's check back once he gets, once he not, I think just arrives is probably good enough, but he needs to actually be enrolled and he doesn't, he doesn't be like, in class, in class, he doesn't need to actually physically be in class, but he does need to be a member, a student at Wake Forest University. So I think once he actually is enrolled for summer session one, is when this ball starts rolling. And I think that happen. I think that'll be middle of next week, late next week, depending on how academics would like to go. And I think academics is going to be sped up a little bit just to be like, hey, can we got to get a waiver for this kid? Let's let's get things moving. So all I have to say is I think he gets the waiver, but as I think it'll be it'll be a bit. This is not going to be a. I don't. I don't expect us to hear May twenty fifth of whether or not he has a waiver or not. I don't expect us to hear by the combine. Speaking of the combine, part two. Where's Wake Forest? Where's Wake Forest go now? So from the portal, they're done, unless some something randomly changes. So the portal is closed on May eleventh, midnight. After that, no, you know who your population is in the portal, and that's going to be it. Why is that relevant to Wake Forest? They're done in the portal. Well, been living under me for rock. Bobby Clintman is heading to the NBA Combine, which I believe starts on May fifteenth. Heard his name, seen his name pop up on the Athletics big board. There's been a little bit of chatter of him here and there. He's definitely someone that's going to be a tantalizing prospect. He's definitely very raw, but he's going to be a tantalizing prospect. I am still of the opinion that Bobby comes back and that he is, he is trying to do, I'm of the opinion that he's doing the best thing for him. He's that, which every player should do. I I get being fans and I get, I want my team to succeed, but at the end of the day, these, these kids are here to go to the, go to the NBA and get drafted. I am still underneath the impression from what I've heard and what I've talked to and who I've talked to that Bobby Clintman is still going to be coming back now that can change i still i'm still in the opinion that he does but there's these things these things move i know that sounds like a cop-out answer but that's just life (laughs) however and i like the bucket things and the things that i know things that i think and this is kind of an in-between part of it more so leaning towards the things that i think I would not be surprised if you know, May 20th or so, because I mean, there's still a healthy, healthy, healthy amount of people in the portal. I would not be surprised if around you know, May 20th, May 21st, May 22nd, you see Wake Forest's name pop up on some of these Wake Forest, like, like such and such prospect has told me they're hearing from these schools. I would not be shocked to see Wake Forest on a few of those names for like a wing or a four. And I know the second that it happens, if it does happen, 
people are going to freak out and say, Bobby's gone. This is just that he already let the staff know. We're just kind of waiting on the announcement, all that stuff. I can, I can kind of see that's fine because if, if granted, I think, I think it's a, it's a fair thing to be like, Oh, this is what's happening. But here's me taking it from the other side. Bobby has until May 31st midnight to take his name out of the draft. He, if you're Steve Forbes, you really can't be, you really can't ha- have what happened last year happen again where you're sitting here with a dead roster spot, which with Jake, he had a dead roster spot and there weren't really people to take his, take his place once Jake was staying in the draft and Jake stayed until basically the last moment. And it, I, I hate the calendar. I think the calendar is dumb. I understand it's the NBA that sets it, but the NBA, but the combine isn't during the off period for the NBA. Like the combine is during the conference finals, like this is essentially the start of the conference finals. It's not like teams aren't playing basketball. I don't understand why we can't just move it up, but it, I mean, I, it just makes sense for every person involved. It makes sense for the people that want to go to the draft. Cool. Just move it up a little bit for them. I like maybe yeah, move it up literally a week or two. Just just move the entire process. Either either move it up a week or two, or move the or if you're in the NCAA, move that transfer portal deadline closer to the, the NBA draft. There is no sense of why we should have a two week, a nineteen twenty day lapse in people can't enter the portal anymore, and the NBA draft not being. And the, and the NBA draft uh, deadline being there, it it makes no sense. But that's that's beside me. So, but first, if you're Steve Forbes, you can't sit there and have a dead roster spot. Now, I'm not going to guarantee they're gonna, they would fill it. They they can fill it if Bobby was to move on. But I would I would think that they're I would think they're going to do everything they can, you know, just to make sure they're covering the bases. And you you kind of have to and sucks but just life but no but so i i would not i would not necessarily freak out if you see wake forest attached to a name of a of any transfer portal target around you know the 20th through the 31st of, of may unless bobby has already declared that he is going to be staying in the nba draft i know it's where i know it's frightening but we're in limbo. If you're if you're if you're scared about it, think how think how much sleep coaches lose over this. It's it's a dumb it's a dumb process. It, it's a it's a dumb process, but it is what it is. So, what does Afton Reed do for the team moving forward? So, I have been very 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 adamant that the type of big that Wake Forest has been trying to get and would be able to land is someone that can eat minutes. And now not any minutes doesn't necessarily mean that they're sitting here and you know playing 30 minutes a game. You can't guarantee after and read 30 minutes a game, like at all. Can't sit here and can't sit here and say, you might not get a waiver this year. Why am I going to guarantee you 30 minutes? However, what Epson Reed can do is I can offer you, I can offer you starting sometimes if there's a big lineup coming out here. I think that'd be a very good place to start after and read, just especially because that way you can just kind of interchange him and Marsh. You can start with Reed. And then if you if you need maybe a, a bigger jolt on offense, kind of go to Marsh. But I say against bigger lineups, you can start him. Against smaller lineups, keep him out, kind of rotate him in with Carr. 
and see and see things how things go from there. That's kind of the role I think you you really needed for there. Like you weren't able to offer thirty minutes a game to anybody. I don't know if I necessarily like a lineup, a full on starting lineup with Reed and Kara in it at the same time. Unless you're playing a big a big team, I just don't know. If, I mean, Reed can Reed can shoot from the outside, not a not a sharpshooter, but he's someone that you at least have to halfway respect that he's going to have to halfway respect that he's going to actually shoot the ball from the outside, but without, especially with, especially without Damari. So let's say worst case scenario. I mean, I'll, I mean, this isn't a worst case scenario. Damari is not going to be playing the first month or two. And I'll touch, touch on Mario a little bit after this. So you'll have no, no Damari, no Bobby. So if you start read your lineup is what? Boopy. Salas or I think Salas and Cam, unless one of the freshmen just bust just bust out. So I think you say Salas and Cam, Carr at the four, Reed at the five. You're essentially UNC from last year, but better defense. There is you have you you scare no one from the outside with that lineup. And maybe Salas gets better from three point line. Cam definitely looked better in the AC tournament. From behind the arc, Boopy is, is is a decent shooter. Car Car has always been decent, but it's not like you have someone that's you have just a group of people out there that you're like, man, I really need to make sure like you can't have them shooting threes. And it's like you you kind of would let them and just see what happens there. You're really you're more worried about the interior at that point. You're more worried about Boopy getting getting to the hole. Or Sal Salas was fast as hell getting the hole. Cam Cam's game is a big man in a six foot four body car does his work kind of from, from, from down lower or mid range a little bit better. And Reed is, you're going to obviously he's your center. You're going to worry about him more from close to the basket. You're not worried about any of these guys from deep. So that's, that that's part of the reason why I'm like, I don't know if I necessarily like it. Even if you have Bobby there and you say Bobby's at the three and you have only one of Cam and Salas, Bobby would still have to be markedly more aggressive in terms of shooting the three. Yeah, Bobby definitely can. We've definitely seen glimpses of him being able to do it. He would have, you'd have to respect it a little more, but I don't know if you're able to necessarily be like, this is, this is our three point specials here. It'd be, a, it'd be a spot where Parker Friedrichson would be able to, if he's able to put on 35 pounds of muscle at this point, that's my one worry about Parker. I think Parker is going to be great. You know, you never know how someone's going to adjust to the speed of the collegiate game, but I think he will eventually be really, really good. That kid's got to put meat on his bones. Got to get him all the PB&Js, get him all the fair life chocolate milk that you can possibly get for him. Just have how I will, I will take a month's, I will pay for a month's worth of cookout trays for this kid to just go there and just get bigger. <laughs> Burger, if you're listening, just let me know. But... Yeah, so I, that's that's part of the thing why I don't necessarily like Reed starting is, and I was saying same way with Marsh, is I think you need a certain amount of shooting on this team, especially for what Forbes likes to do. And we saw that down the stretch of last year when Damari got hurt, and Carr's offense was a little bit sketchy because of his because of his his injury. You, I mean, they had the lineup of what was it? Ty Davian, Bob, uh, Ty Davian, Cam. Bobby and Carr, and the only people kind of willing to shoot was Ty 
and Davian when he when he when he catch and shot. Like no, like no one is like there's and that's kind of the same issue right now. Is I I don't I think Sal seems to improve his three point shooting. He's he's Sal's is probably never going to be a 33 or thirty five percent shooter. I think he'll be in the thirties, but I don't, I don't think he's going to be someone that you need to be frightened about. Even when De, when Demario comes back, I think you could you could mess around with it a little bit, but it'd be it's it'd be tough. It'd be tough. So. But I think Reed is someone that has definitely bought into the fact that he needs to earn his minutes. He's on his second transfer. Nothing is guaranteed at this point. You definitely can't transfer again, big dog. Like this is kind of it. I know. I know Bradford is transferring, but where at at this point, you you would have transferred a bunch of like, and you transferred a bunch in high school, which I usually don't hold against you. But and I I don't hold it because I know he transferred from Rich it's Richmond High School to IMG, which is a very normal thing. But then you going from Will Wade to Gonzaga to or Mark View to Steve Forbes. Look, man, if, if you're not producing under any of these three really good coaches, and while Will Wade is a very kind of dirty person when it comes to recruiting and everything, I think he's still a really good coach. If you're not improving under three really good coaches, man, like what like what do you have to offer me at this point? So, but I think he's really, really bought in in terms of stay of staying at wake and staying in general and, and work and grinding. He is an incredibly intelligent kid. And I, and I hate, and I, I don't hate, but I don't necessarily like it. Sometimes when people say that, because it, I feel like it insinuates that athletes aren't exactly smart or anything, but he is, he's a nerd, Like he's just a flat out nerd. Everyone's listening to music in the locker room. He's just reading a book about ancient history, watches the history channel all the time. Like he's, he's a bona fide nerd and I, I love it. I think it's great. He'll fit right into Wake Forest, especially even if he doesn't get the transfer waiver. Cool, get you get your degree in two years, great. But this is a guy that staff thinks is, has NBA talent. I think has NBA talent, and I think that it's going to be a really interesting. I'm I'm glad that he, the way that he's coming in and he's coming in early, is really important to me because he had a, he had a back injury in February, so he'd already kind of fallen out of the rotation. And this is part of one of the questions of why didn't he play Gonzaga? Mark Few doesn't really play a lot of guys anyways. And I know when he, I know when he committed to Gonzaga, he really, I don't know if he, I know he thought that Drew Timmy had a less, had a lower chance of coming back than he actually did. And I can pretty much confirm that there was a sense of regret for Reed when he chose Gonzaga because I mean you even if if Timmy doesn't doesn't play you probably still have to get to what Anton Smith and uh Ben Gregg who is actually good for them but at least you're third out of three you're not fourth out of four and really not playing at that point he had his moments earlier in the season and looked and looked fine against Michigan State he had he had some fouling issues but as an Atlanta Hawks fan watching Oneko and Kongu and John Collins I know all about big men with foul troubles. You can you can clean it up a little bit. Jaron Jackson Jr. cleaned it up a little bit. You can get there. So I'm not really worried about about that. But he had the back injury in February, and that really just if there was any semblance of him regaining his confidence after falling out of rotation after, during the non-conference, gone. It's, you, you pick up a back injury in February. That's like the, that is the absolute worst time to, to get that. You can't even can't even help in spot minutes. So, but he's fully recovered from that. 
he is a, he a little bit out of shape. Like he's in, he's, he's fine, but he's not, in a, he's not where Bradford was. He's not where, and that was, I think the Achilles heel of Bradford was Bradford had to come in. Essentially, you're not touching a basketball for the next, five, next three months, buddy. You're, you're, you're getting in shape. You, you are getting in shape. And I don't, that's not the case. That's not anywhere near the case for Efton Reed. Reed is definitely going to have to get in a little better shape. And he acknowledged it in his, in his interview with Les. Uh, if I'm going to pull it up really quickly, I believe the quote was, doo, 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 doo. the quote was, I want to work on my conditioning. I'm going to get in the weight room and holding my scales. I want to be three, more consistent with my three-point shooting, and my post-ups, my all-around game. So, yeah, I, I think he understands that he needs to work on his conditioning a bit. Just not, I don't think he, I don't, he's not a lazy guy. He He does work hard. So I think he's just that injury set him back a little bit, just conditioning wise. But he'll have all summer. He'll have all summer in a state of our weight room to to get that going. So I'm I'm happy for Reed, and I think honestly having him and Salas together is going to be good for both of them. For the simple fact of they have known each other for a while. He, he mentioned that they those two were Team USA roommates. They've known each other for literally years, obviously, and they're not both rejects from, from Gonzaga, but they're both people that didn't really like what, that, what their fit was at Gonzaga. And now they're both coming into a place where they can just start new. They are, I think there are less expectations on really either of them. Like I know they're both five stars. And I think from a fan base perspective, people are like, they're five stars they need to produce. But I think from a coaching staff I think they're just they're the expectations are just different. I think for an Efton Reed, like I said, you're not expected to come in and be the heir apparent to Drew Timmy. We're not expecting you to be Drew Timmy out here right now, especially the first couple of weeks. We're expecting you to, to learn, to grow, get back in shape, go there. For Hunter Salas, I think you have all the talent in the world. Instead of the pressure of you mean like we we don't necessarily we, we obviously want you and would be very much benefited if you sat here and attained your five star pedigree. But what we need from you right now is to just kind of take a deep breath. We trust you. And I think it's the trust aspect that's really going to help. It's like, look, we trust you to be this guy. And Efton Reed, we, we're going to trust you to be our defensive big man. And, this, and you, whatever you do on offense, great. You can, do, you can do good things there. Thumbs up. But I think just the expectations and the message being different and them both having each other is really going to be something that I think helps them both. And I'm I'm really intrigued to see how those two really move on. I mentioned I was going to talk about Damari. Just a little note from at least from what I've heard, Damari. I've, I've heard he's doing well. I don't I, I don't know what has gotten into him or Malik Mustafa, but whatever they are getting into, I need that for my lower back. I sound like I'm 45, I'm only 27, but whatever whatever they got. I need I don't I still think that the correct play and what will actually happen with Damari is I believe he'll be back around I think he'll probably get cleared to to start playing like actually cleared to play a basketball game around late September early October. That being said, it's got to be in shape. Like that and I think that's something we don't take take it into consideration is you're not really getting stronger you're, you're trying to stay in as much shape as possible when you're rehabbing an injury. And so you're going to need probably a few, you're going to need a few weeks for you to really get back into, into playing shape. And 
I think if they can get him back and playing in November, in early November, that's going to be a massive win because then he still has the rest of the non-conference schedule to really kind of ramp up, get all the kinks out, get whatever. Because I don't, I don't want to say any demotivation, but injuries can be very demotivating. Someone blows out their knee and it's eh, they, you think your career is over. He's had two season-ending injuries and it's tough, but I think he would. I think he'll be fine. I've heard very, very positive things on Damaris and I'm not going to put a firm timeline, but I think, I think he's doing, I've heard he's doing extremely well. So thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, go Deeks.